From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Last week, on the public holiday to mourn the Queen's death, there were protests against the monarchy in major cities across Australia. The marches represented many who have a resentment of the British Crown and unhealed wounds inflicted by the British Empire. In the UK, some people feel the same way, and not all Britons participated in the scenes of public grieving that have been seen around the world. Today, the UK's first professor of Black Studies and author of The New Age of Empire, Kehinde Andrews, on what the monarchy represents today. It's Monday, September 26. Kehinde, last week, the world saw a huge display of grief from the British public. We had people lining up sometimes for up to 24 hours to see Queen Elizabeth II's coffin. It's It's been pretty incredible. But I also know that it doesn't represent everyone in Britain's relationship with the monarchy. So what is it that you've thought as you've been watching both the public reaction as well as the media coverage of, of her death? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the word I would use is bemused, like to see it's, it's wall-to-wall coverage. You've got people taking their kids and they're queuing for 24 hours. From across the United Kingdom and around the globe, they came and they waited and they queued. I mean, you look back on this and I think we'll look back and say, well, what, what happened? There was like a collective madness that took over the country. So you can see many of them behind me and around me, back and forth across the gardens here and for miles along the River Thames. I mean, on the day of the funeral itself, everything was closed. Like, everything was closed. You, McDonald's was closed. You can't go to the shop to get any food. It's complete and utter shot down that I've never seen in this country before. We should not allow anything to overshadow the most important event the world will ever see, and that's the funeral of a majesty. And the African-American intellectual W.B. Du Bois uh, had this concept of double consciousness when he said, like, being black and American, sometimes they just don't really go together, you just don't understand. And I think this this is the way that this has been over the past week after then and, and, and continuing on, it just is this double consciousness of being black and British, a, a complete disconnection, alienation from the nation that you live in. Okay, so can we talk a bit about where it is that that feeling of disconnection and alienation really begins? What is it like growing up in the UK for people who have a family history in a country that has been so impacted by the British Empire? And in your case, your family having a background in Jamaica, what is the experience of growing up in the UK with the Queen like for you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my grandmother really was like proper royalist, like had a picture of the Queen in her front room until she died. If she was still alive today, she probably would have been in that 24-hour queue because she really was, like, in this colonial period, they're brought up to love Britain. She born in Jamaica, the mother country, et cetera, et cetera. So she had a very different relationship. But then you have to think when my dad, who comes when he's younger, comes over and experiences the harsh brutalities of Britain, racial segregation, police brutality, fascists chasing them down the street singing God Save the Queen. He has a very different relationship to, to the nation and the Queen. And that's what I grew up in. I grew up in, look, the Queen represents something else. The Queen is a symbol. The flag is a symbol of, of, of racism. The flag is, is something you're not really, be- you don't really belong here. I grew up feeling that. Mm. And when you talk about that disconnection, there was 
a pretty stark example of that in the last week, wasn't there? There were these protests over the police shooting of an unarmed black man in the UK. So can you tell me about that and about how it how it played out during the coverage of the Queen's funeral? Yeah, so Chris Cabo was shot. He was um, similar, very like in 2011, uh, Mark Doggan was shot in similar circumstances where the police, um, basically they, they're chasing, they do a hard stop and then they unload on somebody who they believe has a gun but doesn't actually have a gun and as it turns out they're unarmed. And when Mark Doggan was killed in 2011, it sparked off massive protests. There were three days of riots. Like, it was a huge thing. And 11 years later, exactly the same thing just happened. Chris Chris 24-year-old Chris Carber was fatally shot on Monday. Police say the vehicle he was driving in was involved in a firearms offence in the days before his death. He died after a single gunshot. He was unarmed. He's been investigated and they are treating it as a homicide. We'll see. Um, So, yeah, stories like that are actually more important, but completely lost uh, in all the the Queen, Queen, Queen stuff. But it did make the news, didn't it, just in this kind of accidental way? It really is an incredible sight. So many people talking to each other about their journey here, why they wanted to come, their memories of the Queen. It made the news because there was a protest and whilst Sky News were covering this protest, well, they were covering the Queen's, um, like everybody going down to London to see the Queen. And they, they reported that this, this band of uh, uh, black activists were, were part of going down to London to see the Queen and to mourn the Queen. Earlier this afternoon, we showed pictures of a crowd of people in Trafalgar Square and described them as being on their way to Buckingham Palace. We'd just like to make it clear that those pictures were actually of a protest that was taking place over the death of Chris Cabber, who was shot and killed by a police officer in South London. And Kahinde, can we talk a little bit more about the the monarchy and the British Empire? Because they're obviously not exactly the same thing. So could you tell me about how it is that they relate to each other and the ways in which the, the legacy of the empire is still playing out today? Well, you can't separate the, the monarchy from the empire at all. Like the same way you can't separate Britain from the empire. So the story that Britain likes to tell is it's this plucky little country in the North Atlantic, which has really people that work really hard, really good scientists and lots of good uh, investors. And this is why Britain made it on its place, its place in the world. And obviously the Queen's just a benevolent figure who goes around shaking hands um, with the smiling natives. I mean, that's the story, but the reality is that Britain only becomes great because of its empire, the largest empire that the world's ever seen, 24% of the world's population, 24% of the actual land mass of the world. And it's built on genocide, slavery, colonialism. This is Britain's colonial empire. Two and a half million square miles, from the Antarctic to the tropics, with dependencies in every continent and every ocean. The British Empire is one of the worst, one of the worst human rights abuses in the entire history of the planet. The people of Britain are directly responsible for the well-being of all the people of the colonies. To guide and develop this vast empire is no easy matter. The monarchy is totally tied up to that. So now, whilst now the Queen is symbolic, that wasn't always the case. Queen Elizabeth I was the one who launched Britain's involvement in the slave trade. It was the Royal African Company that enslaved more Africans than any other company in the whole entire world. Um, at this time, Britain's becoming Britain and the monarchy's becoming what the monarchy is. It's taking its wealth from exploiting black and brown people all over the world. I mean, that, that wealth from colonialism is still with us and the poverty from colonialism is still with us. This crown holds one of the world's most famous and expensive diamonds, the Kohinoor. 
which has been the source of a decades-long controversy between India and the United Kingdom. For many, the jewel is a painful reminder of India's colonial past and they want it back. So it's not an accident that if you look at a map of GDP per capita, I guarantee you'll find the British on the top and the white countries are on the top and the black countries at the bottom doing really, really badly and there's a hierarchy in between. I and mean, actually those gaps are getting worse, they are not getting better. That wealth and poverty is the legacy and I can't think of a better embodiment of that than the royal family. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. Yeah, yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Kende, it's true, isn't it, that the British Empire had largely been dismantled by the time that Queen Elizabeth II came into power. And she's often credited with this achievement of transitioning into what we now know as the Commonwealth, which is made up of of independent states. So what do you see as the relationship between the British Empire and and the Commonwealth? And, And do you think that the project of the Commonwealth under the Queen has been successful? The idea that the British Empire is gone is problematic, right? So the Commonwealth is just a rebranded British Empire, if we're honest. So the idea that, that imperialism is gone is a mirage. And the Queen has led this transition to what I call the new age of empire, where things seem benevolent and things seem better and she'll go around and give independence to countries, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, think it's basically exactly the same. White supremacy continues. When the news of the Queen's death broke, Twitter was awash with sentiments from former British colonies that condemned the monarch for overseeing the plunder. And he... Even during her reign, you had the suppression of the Mau Mau in Kenya. It was so bad, Britain actually paid 20 million in compensation. In 2013, the British government paid 22.9 million euros to over 5,000 elderly Kenyans who suffered abuse and torture during the rebellion just at the beginning of Queen Elizabeth II's reign. I was beaten by several policemen and they kidnapped my daughter. You had the British government supporting the Nigerian government to starve a million children in Biafra in the 70s. Hunger became a weapon of war. Nigeria imposed an air and sea blockade on Biafra. One million Biafran children died of malnutrition in the months that followed. Like, there's lots of things bad that's happened. It's not, let's not pretend that everything's been great in the rest of the world uh, since she's been queen. Yeah, I think that's that's true, Kehinde, but I also think that many of the things that you've been saying today will be seen as as fairly controversial in Australia, talking about the monarchy in, in the context of, of white supremacy. So what does that say to you about where this conversation, where the, the conversation around the legacy of the monarchy, the legacy of colonialism is at in places like Australia and, and like England? 
Why? It just tells you just how badly we understand things. I mean, it, it stems from a number of things. So one is just that, that we don't have understand the empire. Like empire is generally, I'm, I'm a professor. I've I got all my education in, in the UK. I never, ever, I'm not joking, I've never heard the word empire in any class, at any level, of my whole entire, and I've went through the whole entire system of education in the UK. That is insane when you think about this, the main thing. You literally cannot understand the country without empire, but we don't talk about it. And so because we don't talk about it, we don't understand. And I think that's also a problem, not just in Britain, but in the colonies. So Australia, I'm guessing it's probably similar in the education system. Canada, I'm guessing it certainly is in Jamaica mostly. Because of because Britain's impact is so large across the world, the education systems in the former colonies are still usually quite British. So it just it just shows you just how badly we understand. This shouldn't be controversial. This should be really obvious. I'm not saying you shouldn't people don't have the right to mourn the monarch. Of course you do. You must understand why millions of us are like, nah, she wasn't my queen. So why why am I sad? And so what would you say then to people, because there are a lot of people who say this, that this moment is not the right moment to start talking about independence from the monarchy or, or republicanism. Why? Why not? I mean, she's not your family member. Like You shouldn't be mourning like you knew her because nobody knew her, right? She's a public figure. And as a public figure, you're open to scrutiny. Like this is, It's insane that you wouldn't have that. It's a perfect time for that conversation. I think there will be now a re-examination. Do we really want to continue this? It doesn't really make any sense. There had been a lot of pushback. So countries like Barbados, for example, getting rid of the Queen as head of state, countries thinking about their place in the Commonwealth. This is a good time to reopen this conversation. And hopefully, yeah, people will. Australia, yeah, Australia's got a complicated relationship with white supremacy, let's be honest. But there is a shift to a new king who doesn't seem to be as popular at all. It's the perfect time. Like, why, what else? Like, if we're saying the monarchy needs to fundamentally change, the role of it needs to change, I'm just saying needs to, to go would probably be the best, the only real decent option. But certainly, this end of a 70-year reign of a monarch, I can't think of a better time to discuss what's the future of the monarchy and should we start to deal with the, the legacy of colonialism and racism. Kendi, thank you so much for talking to me. No worries, thank you. I enjoyed it. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the data of over 10 million Australians was hacked from Optus late last week and it looks like it'll soon be for sale on the dark web. An anonymous account claiming to represent the hacker has asked for $1 million US dollars from Optus by the end of this week, or they'll begin to sell off data that includes addresses, driver's licences and passport numbers. And Iran has been swept with the most significant protest movement in years, with demonstrations confirmed in almost all the provinces of the country. Protests began in response to the death of a 22-year-old woman in the custody of Iran's morality police. She was arrested for allegedly breaking hijab rules. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.